sponsored in part by Eli Lilly and Company. Do you think you might have migraine? Talk to your healthcare professional about your symptoms, the number of days they impact your life, and which treatment options might be best for you. Learn more at thinkmigraine.com and the American Brain Foundation. For over 30 years, the foundation has worked with researchers to discover better treatment, prevention, and cures for brain diseases and disorders. Imagine life without brain disease. Learn more at AmericanBrainFoundation.org. Rethreaded offers hope and a fresh start to survivors of human trafficking right here in Jacksonville. None of us should be defined by the worst things that happen to us. Learn more about how you can unlock the potential of survivors at Rethreaded.com. And by Norellis, a leading neuroscience company focused on the development and commercialization of therapeutics for the treatment of epilepsy and other neurologic disorders. The company's unique drug portfolios strive to address unmet needs in patient care. Learn more at Norellis.com. Hi, I'm Dr. Joe Servin, a practicing neurologist and professor of healthcare sciences. This is What's Health Got to Do With It, which looks at where and how healthcare intersects with your life, helping you get the medical answers you want. Coming up, a special conversation with the president of the American Medical Association, Dr. Jesse Ehrenfeld. But first, the AMA, or American Medical Association, is known as the voice of medicine in the United States. The AMA is the oldest and largest professional association and lobbying group of physicians and medical students. Founded in 1847, it's headquartered in Chicago, Illinois. Membership was approximately 271,000 in 2022. The AMA's stated mission is to promote the art and science of medicine and the betterment of public health. The association publishes the widely read and cited Journal of the American Medical Association, otherwise known as JAMA, and publishes a list of physician specialty codes, which are the standard method in the United States for identifying physician and practice specialties. The current president of the AMA is Dr. Jesse Ehrenfeld. He's an anesthesiologist, a military physician, a bioinformatics researcher, and the first openly gay person to hold this position among many firsts. And he joins us today, and for full disclosure to our listeners, I am a member of the American Medical Association, and I just want to make uh, that clear to everyone. Dr. Ehrenfeld, thank you so much for joining our program. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk with you and share some insights for your listeners. Now, I have to put this out there first. I understand you have a connection to the Jacksonville community. <laughs> I do. My parents live in uh, Ponte Vedra Beach, and uh, I'm always uh, excited to uh, speak with uh, folks in Florida and, uh, and visit the family. I love it. I, and we love the connection here, uh, which is quite lovely. Uh, let's get right into it, and um, let's start uh, with describing the AMA. I know I gave a little bit of a description in my intro, but tell us a little bit about the AMA that maybe my intro didn't completely cover. I mean, who are the members? Well, as you covered, the AMA is the largest, most influential physician group. It's the only national association that convenes more than 190 state and specialty medical societies wow. and um and that's really important because you know the florida medical association uh the wisconsin medical association um you know the uh, american academy of neurology uh they all come together um throughout the year to set policy and, and when i have the opportunity to um you know to speak with you on this program uh or to to, to be on tv or to be at the white house uh, or on capitol hill um i'm speaking uh, for our physician members and our representatives from this 190 state and specialty societies. I, I'm not promulgating my personal opinion. I am promulgating the democratically decided policies of the AMA. And um, our mission is pretty simple. It's, it's to promote the art and science of medicine and the betterment of public health. And, and that means that we have to be relentless advocates on behalf of patients, physicians, uh, and our medical students. And um, all, all of our work today broadly really kind of 
gets consolidated into three core areas. Mm -hmm. The first is just getting rid of the obstacles that interfere with patient care, trying to recenter the delivery of healthcare on the patient-physician relationship. The second is trying to drive the future of medicine, reimagining how do we teach and train? How do we reimagine a pathway to lifelong learning and education? How do we promote innovation to make sure that we can tackle the biggest challenges in healthcare? Uh, and then finally, trying to improve the health of the nation. Uh, we are leading the charge to prevent chronic disease, confront health crises like, uh, oh, I don't know, a pandemic, uh, as well as eliminate health inequities. So many missions and so impressive from that direction. Like, how does, to a listener out there, how does one become a member of the AMA? Um, individual physicians and medical students make that choice to join. And, and they go to our website, ama-assn.org, click on the member tab and, and sign up. And um, we, uh, we are so delighted to continue to grow as an association. Uh, we've had membership growth 10 of the past 11 years wow. because people believe in our mission. People see us increasingly as having an important role in advocating for the health of the nation. Uh, and I am obviously humbled to be uh, at its helm as president this year. Now, what percentage of practicing physicians in the U.S. belong to the AMA uh, in general? You know, I'm not sure what the percentage is. We've sure. got more than 270,000 members. And because we can be in 190 state and specialty medical societies, uh, we believe that we represent more than 95% of uh, America's physicians. Now, I know you noted that membership is growing. Are there other competitors for the voice of American medicine? You know, I, I don't think they're competitors. We are we are the federation. You know, we we bring right. folks together. Um, there certainly are other influential groups, groups that are important partners and advocates. But but there just is no other group that has the convening power of the AMA, and that that comes through our House of Delegates, which is our policymaking body that has that very very broad representations and and effectively is representing every single physician in the nation when it comes to setting evidence-based policy that's driving our advocacy. You know, uh, we hear every day uh, in media of some form or another about just the divide in American politics and in opinions. And I, I noted how you pointed out that you represent kind of the, the general consensus the, of the AMA. And I know American physicians represent each side of the political spectrum. So how does the AMA work to represent this entire group, just given all the polarization? Well, you know, I, I think it's really a very special attribute of the AMA. I mean, we, we've, we've got physicians from Jacksonville. We've got physicians from Key West. Uh, every flavor of, of specialty and, and, and sort of political philosophy uh, is represented by, by, by the association. Um, and, and what's truly amazing is, you know, twice a year we come together in, in open session, open format to have important policy debates. And, and at these meetings, policies are debated openly. Um, the debates are based on the best available science. Um, delegates certainly disagree on certain points. Sure. Um, but at the end of the day, after they, they bring their evidence, they make their arguments, we vote. Um, and then something really special happens, which used to happen in Washington, D.C., and I don't see it happening a lot, which is that people who disagreed uh, in the debate go out and have dinner uh, and come yes. back together and put our mission uh, first. And uh, I think actually that's one of the truly, truly special things um, about the AMA and about our, our process that we've been able to maintain in spite of uh, an increasingly divided nation. I know you noted that there are several huge missions and priorities for the AMA. How has the AMA's role in medicine evolved in, in your opinion? Well, you know, uh, Today in America, after three long years of dealing with a pandemic, people are burnt out a lot of jobs, yeah. but especially those who work in healthcare, where we've had this twin-demic, a COVID pandemic and a pandemic of bad information floating around. Um, but physicians, nurses, other healthcare workers, we've got a really important job, which is to keep people healthy. Um, and as we try to emerge 
from all of this. Uh, we still have a healthcare system in crisis. So many barriers to care. So many challenges around trying to put evidence-based medicine first. So, um, for my entire uh, presidency this year, uh, really my focus is on what we call our recovery plan for America's physicians, trying to reform Medicare payments to promote thriving practices and innovation, tackling prior authorization to reduce the burdens on practices and reduce delays in care, stopping scope of practice creep that threatens patient safety, ensuring we have physician-led teams, uh, reducing burnouts among physicians, uh, addressing the stigma around getting treatment for mental health issues, um, and advancing telehealth to make sure that we continue to have uh, coverage and payment for those those essential services. So many items, but I'm I'm so thankful for for everything that you're mentioning right now. One of the things uh, that has come up in many states recently has been issues surrounding healthcare legislation at the state level. Uh, whether it be restrictions on abortion access or restriction about transgender medicine. And I, I, how is the AMA working to help ensure access to these types of care for everybody? Because it, it, I know so many people are caught in the middle, patients, doctors, other healthcare workers. So our policy is clear. We oppose the interference of government in the practice of medicine and we strongly oppose any law that prohibits physicians from providing evidence-based medical care that is in the best interest of their patients. Uh, and that includes certainly government intrusion into the care for transgender people, um, as well as intrusion in reproductive health and other areas of, of healthcare. Um, it is our view that decisions about all healthcare um, should be made through shared decision-making between patient, their family, and their physicians. Um, without a politician, uninvited, bringing themselves into the exam room or second guessing a health care decision. And, and so that's why we are very aggressive in fighting discriminatory actions in states that seek to roll back um, those protections and, and criminalize the work of physicians who are uh, providing evidence-based care. With regards to those that are caught in the middle, uh, specifically physicians um, that you know now have to consult with their attorneys before they do procedures or anything. Is the AMA, uh, other than um, advocacy, are there other ways that they are getting involved to support these physicians and their patients? Well, you know, clearly the decision by the Supreme Court in the Dobbs case last year put physicians in an impossible situation in a lot of jurisdictions trying to fulfill their ethical duty to place patient health and well-being above all considerations while attempting to comply with what are often vague, restrictive, or conflicting state laws that, again, intrude upon that important patient-physician relationship and jeopardize patient health. So we continue to try to support physicians in alignment with our policy to try to help um, patient advocates um, getting the care that they need. Um, and then we have uh, other challenges um, because, unfortunately, there are disinformation campaigns, uh, restrictions that have uh, continued to accelerate since last year. You just just look what's happening with access to the drug uh, mifepristone. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so you you may your listeners may know this, but um, this is a case where anti-abortion organizations and doctors who have never prescribed mifepristone um, absurdly are arguing that 23 years ago. Um, when I was a first-year medical student, um, the FDA did not follow the proper protocol in approving right. the drug as a part of a two-drug regimen for abortion. Um, this is a very brazen attack, and, and, and I'm worried because the outcome could completely upend the FDA entire drug regulatory process, and you can imagine the chaos wow. that that would cause across the health system. Uh, if they did that. So we are, uh, we're active in, in the district court level around trying to make sure that this, uh, this doesn't happen, but it's uh, obviously uh, certainly concerning for us. Dr. Ehrenfeld, with so many issues uh, in, in medicine in general, what do you see as the most pressing healthcare policy challenge facing us all Americans? Well, you know, there are a lot of challenges. Yes. Um, <laughs> But I, I, I worry about physician burnout, the impact on access to healthcare when, when patients need it. 
um, when we don't have the workforce that we need, when we have a workforce that is struggling. Um, I worry about these things that get in the way of care. I'm an anesthesiologist. I was in the operating room on Friday uh, taking care of uh, patients. Uh, and I always ask my patients, I say, you know, so how long did it take you to get your surgery scheduled? And, you know, they usually say it was a couple of weeks or a month or something. And, and then I say, and how long do you take your insurance company to approve it? Um, and it's usually three times longer. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, and we have this broken process where insurance companies are dictating care and practicing medicine and, and, and er, er, erecting barriers uh, that just make it hard. We, we've got to fix these things. We've got to fix the broken Medicare payment system and make sure that patients have access to the care that they need, especially important for seniors. And to all of our listeners out there, you're listening to What's Health Got to Do With It on WJCT News 89.9. I'm Dr. Joe Servin. And if you're just joining us, we're talking with the American Medical Association president, Dr. Jesse Ehrenfeld. And we want to hear from you. If you have an idea for future shows, tweet me at Jay Servin. You speak about patients, uh, Dr. Ehrenfeld, and I know that you are the, the AMA stands as that voice for the health of Americans. Uh, to our listeners, how would they may ask, how does the AMA exactly help patients? How would you answer that question? Our mission is to help patients. Uh, it is to promote the art and science of medicine and the betterment of public health. So whether it's public awareness campaigns, about chronic disease, hypertension, diabetes, making sure that physicians had access to personal protective equipment during the pandemic. Um, it's all about helping patients, whether we're talking about preserving access to care for seniors through the Medicare program, um, making sure that we can actually get medications and procedures that patients need, getting rid of prior authorization barriers. All of these things are centered around making sure that patients have access to care and access to their physicians. And, and we know that, look, physicians got into this line of work to help patients. Sure. And that's where our advocacy is focused on removing those barriers. Now, I know the AMA represents physicians uh, as well, and, and I completely get uh, how you're helping patients, the, organiza the organization that is, is helping patients. How would you answer the question, what happens if, if there's uh, a situation where the physician interest in the patient interests aren't aligned. Um, how do you reconcile that? Well, overwhelmingly patient and physician interests are aligned. Um, we want fewer barriers to care. We want more time with each other. We don't want technology to be a burden. We want it to be a facilitator. When we advocate to prevent firearm violence, it's to protect our patients. When we advocate to keep government out of the exam room, it's to ensure access to evidence-based care. When we push for Medicare reform, it's to make sure seniors have access to the physicians that they, they know and they count on. So I would say in, in, in the vast majority of situations, those interests are, are well aligned. Let's switch to a different topic. Um, we've talked uh, about COVID-19 pandemic, and I know you brought it up. As you look back and reflect on, on just all that's occurred, what big key lessons you think we've all learned in terms of just public health preparedness and response to pandemics as a result of what you saw? Well, unfortunately, one of the biggest ones is the power of misinformation today. Yeah. And, you know, not only have we had to deal with the virus, um, but there's this ongoing need to push back on misinformation that is proliferating on the internet. And, um, you know, the, the importance of communication can't be overemphasized. You know, we had a lot of challenges throughout COVID because the science was changing quickly. Our understanding was evolving. Uh, the need to be clear, direct, um, and to say that you don't know something if you don't know it um, because the science is unclear and evolving. Those things are really important to maintaining the trust of the public and ensuring that we can keep people healthy. Speaking of misinformation, uh, this this particular show is not a political show, but I'm going to ask uh, something that could kind of be considered that, uh, which is um, there are conflicting um, information that arises from the state of Florida, specifically from Florida's own Surgeon General, uh, with regards to advice with regards to COVID booster shots and vaccinations. Uh, my question is a very simple one. Who should Florida citizens listen to regarding vaccine advice? 
they should listen to their doctor. And, and we know statistically that, that people trust their own doctor the most. So I, I take your questions to them. Uh, I can also recommend getvaccineanswers.org. It's a wonderful website. Um, you know, look, to be clear, vaccines are one of those amazing medical breakthroughs right. of all time. Everybody should be taking advantage of them. Flu, RSV, certainly COVID. The science is clear. They are safe. They are effective. They protect the person getting the shot and everyone around them. Are there any specific measures that you believe need to be implemented now to prevent future pandemics? Sure. So, you know, we have to insist that our elected officials affirm science, evidence, and fact in their, in their words and their actions. Uh, we've got to insist that our government's scientific institutions, CDC, FDA, are free from political pressure that their actions are guided by the best available scientific evidence. Um, we've got to expand health insurance coverage. Um, you know, we unfortunately have not seen every state expand Medicaid. We know that uh, coverage for people uh, leads to better healthcare. Um, we've got to collaboratively and intentionally get rid of health inequities that for too long have left communities of color on unequal footing in our health system and in society. We've got to improve public health both domestically and globally. Um, and that means we've got to shore up our gutted public health infrastructure. And, and you've got to remember that we can't act as if we exist in isolation in the world. Um, you've got to recognize that there is a global community of healthcare providers, healthcare institutions, um, and global alliances are critical uh, to make sure that we can prevent future threats uh, before they sweep the planet. We just did a show on this uh, program related to diversity in medicine, and there has been improvement in the number of underrepresented minorities in medicine. What's the AMA doing to help increase that representation of underrepresented minorities in the physician workforce? So the recent Supreme Court decision sort of undermines decades of progress yeah. centered on the educational value of diversity, unfortunately, and is likely going to reverse gains made in the battle against health inequities. Um, a, a physician workforce that reflects the diversity of the nation is key to eliminating racial inequities. And so um, we have made progress. The number of, of Black or African-American matriculants um, has gone up, um, you know, 9%. Um, and uh, we are seeing uh, matriculants who are Hispanic, uh, Latino, Spanish origin go up 4% um, this, this past year. That this, is, this is actually 21, 22 uh, enrollment data because we don't have it from sure. 22, 23 sure. yet. Um, unclear what that's going to look like um, with the end of affirmative action in, in higher education. So we, we are trying to support um, our uh, members, uh, particularly those who work in, in medical schools and higher education, uh, to proactively make sure that we continue to have a diverse workforce coming forward. Um, and this is important um, uh, because we know when we have diverse care teams, patients do better. We're going to take a short break now. We've been talking to Dr. Jesse Ehrenfeld, president of the American Medical Association, and we'll be right back. Welcome back. If you're just joining us, we're talking to Dr. Jesse Ehrenfeld, the current president of the American Medical Association. 
One other point uh, from post-COVID, and you've already brought this up, is physician burnout. It's such a critical issue. Um, have a lot of physicians left the field post-COVID? You know, we've been quite clear, I've said it already on, on your program, that we've got a healthcare system in crisis between burnout, COVID-19, the rampant misinformation, We've just we're battling challenges on too many fronts, and you you throw on top of that a broken Medicare payment system, yeah. um, inflation driving up the cost of practicing medicine, um, and the response has been from a growing number of physicians, unfortunately, uh, to retire, find another career, scale back, um, and and this happened to my my parents in Jacksonville. Their their primary care doc um, just just couldn't see Medicare patients anymore. Oh, wow. Um, and so, like so many, they had to scramble. You know, they they had to transition their care. They had to find somebody else. Uh, now they're traveling farther away to see their doctor. Uh, of course, you know, they're in their 70s. They they each have some health issues going on. Things got lost in the transition. And so, unfortunately, this is a story that plays itself out over and over sure. and over. And that's why we're putting so much time into trying to achieve results under the umbrella of our recovery plan for America's physicians. We've just got to get rid of burnout. We've got to reform the Medicare payment system. We've got to rein in prior authorization. Let's go to uh, yet um, another topic. Uh, we are now in the throes, God help us, of the 2024 uh, presidential election. Uh, how does the AMA get involved in supporting candidates at a national level like the president versus a governor or Senate uh, a candidate? How does that work? Well, it's actually pretty easy. We don't. Okay. <laughs> we, we're okay, not, we're a nonpartisan <laughs> organization. We we do not make political endorsements. We stand ready to work with people in either party as well as independents. Um, we're here to build consensus. We are here to achieve results that benefit physicians and payments. And I, I will tell you, we have a divided Congress, right? Yeah. Um, I, I don't even think there's a speaker today. It's, it's hard to no, know. You got to check no. the news. Um, but but there is bipartisan support for critical issues around Medicare access. There's bipartisan support uh, to increase the training pipeline to make sure that we have more qualified uh, physicians in America. There's bipartisan support to make sure that we can do things that we know uh, will improve America. You don't you don't see those things elevated um, because they they don't obviously often make the news. Um, but I'm encouraged by that, and certainly we will uh, watch with the rest of the nation to see what happens in 2024. Let's go to yet a, another uh, issue that is very pervasive, and that's the opioid crisis. Um, so many people have been hurt by the opioid epidemic, and, and there were a lot of physicians that were duped into prescribing opioids to patients, uh, now that we know that in hindsight. What is the AMA position on opioids, and, and what's it doing to combat this particular epidemic? So to put a finer point on it, um, our nation's drug overdose epidemic is now killing more than 100,000 Americans each year. That's crazy. Um, our, our 2022 um, overdose epidemic report, um, however, did show a 46% decrease in opioid prescribing nationwide over the last decade. So. Physicians have heard the message, we know the problem, and they have responded by markedly reducing opioid prescribing. Now what's happening is people are dying from preventable deaths, from opioid overdoses, primarily because of an increase in illicitly manufactured fentanyl. Yeah. Um, and so our advocacy led to the FDA approval of the first ever over-the-counter naloxone product, um, and we are taking every step to make sure that um, that reversal medication is available uh, because we know it saves lives. Um, you know, unfortunately, the 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 retail price of around fifty dollars is is too high for yeah. a lot of people, um, and so we're trying to get coverage for naloxone from health insurers, um, whether it's obtained through prescription or, or over the counter. Um, we're trying to get rid of barriers to evidence-based treatment for substance use disorder. Um, that, that means we've got to have improved enforcement of, of laws and policies to ensure access to medication-based treatment for people who are suffering 
from opioid use disorder. So there's a lot that's happening. Um, I certainly see uh, physicians across the nation stepping up, but we've got a lot of policy work that we need to do um, to reverse this incredible crisis. Let's go to yet another very uh, seemingly intractable problem, and that's gun violence. Uh, According to the CDC and other health groups, the murder rate by guns is just soaring, and it seems to be everywhere as well. Even the AMA's own uh, journals had a cover enough is enough, if I remember correctly. What can the AMA and doctors do to help combat gun violence? You know, this is really hard, uh, and I come at this from from three angles. You know, one is um, I'm a dad, and, and and I drop my son off at school, yeah. and I I had the expectation that he should be safe, right, in right. a place of learning, and yet I I was in Nashville the day of the school shooting there oh. this spring, oh. um, where uh, two physician families uh, lost children, um, and it's heartbreaking. Um, I'm a combat veteran. I, I, I actually have a sharpshooter medal. Um, I understand that these weapons are weapons of war. Um, and, and there should not be people walking around the streets with um, assault rifles. So we, we formed a, a gun violence prevention task force. Um, it's adopt, we've adopted more than 30 policy recommendations. Um, and, and these are things that a majority of Americans believe in. A majority of Americans say makes sense. Having a waiting period and a background check if somebody's buying a firearm, making sure that there's automated reporting. Uh, if you're prohibited from buying uh, a weapon, um, that should automatically go into the, the national instant criminal background check system. It doesn't today. Um, restricting the sale and ownership of, of certain types of weapons, high capacity semi-automatic firearms, bump stocks, ghost guns, high capacity magazines. These are policies that are common sense. We know they'll make a difference and they are supported by a majority of Americans. Let's go to yet another uh, topic. And you've brought this up, as you pointed out there, America has an access problem to health care because of lack of insurance and things of that sort. Do you do you ever envision a single payer system other than Medicare for all in the United States? Well, I'll tell you one thing we know is that people without insurance live sicker and die younger. And that's why we fought for the passage of the Affordable Care Act. It's why we have fought every effort to repeal the law. Um, We do oppose a single payer system. Um, We do think, though, that there are important key market insurance reforms uh, that we need to maintain coverage for pre-existing conditions, having guarantee issue, parental coverage for young adults. Um, we've got to make sure that low-income, moderate-income patients can get affordable, adequate coverage. We've got to make sure that Medicaid, uh, the Children's Health Insurance Program, other safety net programs are adequately funded. Uh, and we've got to make sure that the regulatory burdens um, that detract from patient care start to go away. Got it. One of the headlines that has uh, come up very frequently this year and as recently as now when we're having this conversation has to do with labor unrest and strikes involving healthcare organizations. Uh, We've seen uh, resident physicians that have unionized. We've seen strikes at Kaiser Permanente, a strike uh, authorization at Alina Health. I guess my first question is, I mean, what's going on in your opinion? Because <laughs> it seems like it's a lot, or is 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 that just the perception? No, I, I think you're I think you're right, and I I think there are a lot of economic pressures that are leading to some of the things that you're describing. Um, we continue to see um, record inflation, um, but we're not seeing. Um, parallel uh, changes in reimbursement to individuals and health systems. And so that's creating a marketplace where there is imbalance and and, and all those things are leading to a lot of challenges that a lot of systems are, are facing, uh, including some things that you have. I, I, I do think there's more that physicians can do within existing antitrust laws to enhance their collective bargaining ability. Um, and we certainly support uh, taking the leadership role in, in, in trying to expand assistance to um, independent and employed physicians. Um, we, we are in the process of reevaluating 
um, various efforts to achieve collective actions and unionization for physicians nationally. Um, you, you've got to remember that we have an, a, an important distinction in that physicians have a code of medical ethics. That's right. Um, and that code of medical ethics um, restricts collective action. Um, and so, you know, there are challenges uh, in terms of what uh, what you could ethically do um, through some sort of labor action as as a physician, um, because uh, there is the obligation to not disrupt patient care. Um, and so it is a, a, an issue that I think is on the line of the minds of many. Um, and so we had a, a good policy discussion on it this past June uh, and we'll continue to look at the, the look at the issue. Uh, one last uh, point on that. Uh, do you see physicians unionizing like pilots or nurses for that matter? You know, I, I don't I don't see that happening at okay. scale anytime soon. And to all of our listeners out there, you're listening to What's Health Got to Do With It on WJCT News 89.9. I'm Dr. Joe Servan. And if you're just joining us, we're talking with the American Medical Association president, Dr. Jesse Ehrenfeld. And we want to hear from you. If you have an idea for future shows, tweet me at jservan. Let's go to a very different topic and also one that seems to be everywhere in the headlines, and that's AI technology. Um, I'm going to ask the question this way. Do you, do you ever see AI replacing physicians? I mean, could it eliminate a medical specialty in your opinion, or do you see it uh, as uh, the ultimate helper? I don't think AI will ever replace physicians, but I do think physicians who use AI will replace those who don't. Um, we are very intentional. We don't talk about artificial intelligence. We talk about augmented intelligence. And and our belief is that these tools ought to boost the capacity of physicians. They ought to boost the capacity of healthcare teams to make us uh, uh, more effective, more efficient, uh, and increase our capacity. So. Um, I, I, I'm excited about technology. I, I'm, I'm board, assi- board certified both in anesthesiology yes. and clinical informatics. Um, I yearn for these technologies. <laughs> uh, we know that we are in an AI era, um, but I don't think we actually understand fully the implications of what these technologies are going to do when it comes to the direct delivery of patient care. Let me ask you, is there any uh, one or two advancements in this area that you personally are excited about given your background? Well, I will tell you, 20% of physician practices are using AI today, Um, but it's not for the things that you or your listeners are thinking about. Uh, It's not for diagnostics. Uh, It's it's for the unsexy back-end office stuff. It's for scheduling. (laughs) It's for supply chain optimization. It's it's those kinds of things where where a lot of businesses uh, across the world um, are adopting these tools. Um, there is a lot of promise, though, right, for, for these tools to come to the bedside. You know, there are now ultrasounds with AI algorithms that are embedded in them that can help people identify structures um, as they're, they're looking for, um, you know, various things. There are, um, you know, autonomous uh, diagnostic systems. They're often fairly narrowly targeted that can di- diagnose diabetic retinopathy, wow. um, you know, with high precision. Um, and, 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 and just imagine if, if you if you stick a laptop, you know, in a in a in a grocery store or, or a retail pharmacy or a primary care office um, and, and you can put somebody in front of that with, you know, uh, out a lot of effort uh, and get really good pictures of the eyes and diagnose diabetic retinopathy um, that frees ophthalmologists up from doing thousands and thousands and thousands of normal exams. Um, it lets them only see the patients where there is disease and it lets them focus their energy and efforts on treating the disease as opposed to doing thousands and thousands and thousands of normal exams. If, if, you, if you have diabetes, you need an exam every year, but most people don't get them. Um, and, and these technologies have the capacity uh, to bring you know, limit, limitless effort right, to uh, solve these, these capacity problems. And, and that's really something that I find very exciting. Uh, one of the areas that I think most people will agree that they really have liked is telehealth. Is telehealth here to stay, in your opinion? Um, we certainly hope it is, and right. we continue to advocate for coverage uh, for telehealth services. It's such an important tool. Um, we we learned so much during the pandemic around what we uh can do using these things. Um, And certainly uh, it's been a a focus for us to make sure that um, coverage is maintained at the federal level um, as well as through third-party payers. 
Now, with regards to preventative care and initiatives uh, to help just improve the health of Americans, um, what are what do you think a listener out? I mean, what would you say to a listener? Like, what's the thing that we should all be doing that maybe we're not doing enough? You know, for years, the AMA has led awareness campaigns around pre-diabetes, hypertension. We've participated and worked with the Ad Council, the CDC, American Heart Association. Um, we've also micro-targeted populations with programs like our Release the Pressure campaign, which focuses specifically on Black women who are particularly at risk for cardiovascular disease. Um, we've, we've fought and won battles to make sure that preventive care is covered. Um, and 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 Medicare now covers diabetes prevention programs. So there there's a lot that we we know we can and need to do. Uh, we need better alignment around incentives so that we continue to invest in preventive care that will pay dividends uh, year over year uh, in the future. Are there any specific public health campaigns or initiatives that that you believe just aren't getting the love or the the attention they deserve and support from 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 everybody? Well, unfortunately, um, one of the pieces that is an enduring problem coming out of COVID um, is around vaccination. And again, it's become so politically charged. Um, but at one point, uh, every U.S. county uh, in the nation saw a drop in routine childhood vaccinations, you know, Ew. for polio prevention, tetanus, uh, rubella, mumps, measles. Um, this is uh, very problematic, very concerning, because we know that these medicines are are safe, they're effective, and they Im- increase public health. Uh, and I, I do worry that we uh, we need to figure out how we can start to reverse that tide where people are opting out of these really, really important tools. With regards to um, health care disparities, um, what's, uh, is there a top priority from the AMA in terms of things that they're looking to address in that sphere that's number one, uh, uh, clear and above all the others? It's critical work. It's being led by our Center for Health Equity. Uh, We created it in 2019. Um, There's a very detailed strategic plan to embed racial justice and advanced health equity in everything we do at the AMA and across the healthcare system. If listeners are, are interested in learning more, um, that strategic plan is, is available for free for download on, on our website. How can we encourage a shift from our reactive healthcare system, that is, we wait for someone to be sick, to, to one that's more proactive and focused on prevention? Um, how do you think we get there? We need better alignment. I, I will tell you, I, I have a colleague um, in another state uh, who who often is is funded by um, a health insurer in his community um, to to do um, system work in, in technology development, um, and he he told me that he had this really frustrating experience, and this is common, and it, it's a philosophical issue where he said, you know, I I can develop an algorithm, we can use all this data, we can actually identify who is at risk for developing. A, a disease, a chronic disease down downstream, um, and then we could intervene. And the health insurer said, well, we don't want to pay for that um, because there's so much churn, there's so much turnover mm-hmm. in our health plans uh, that somebody else will get the benefit in five or 10 years of an investment that we'd make today uh, in preventive care. Um, that is absurd. Um, it is unfortunately driven by um, profiteering. Sure. Uh, and unfortunately, we just need better alignment around these incentives that we know can lead to better, more rational investment in preventive care. Uh, one of the uh, areas uh, that we've heard a lot about, mostly it's been from the U.S. Surgeon General, but I just kind of want to get your take and the AMA's take on it, is the epidemic of loneliness, uh, this whole uh, point of that. Do you do you believe we're in that situation with uh, epidemic of loneliness uh, that we hear so much about? You know, I, I do worry, um, particularly for kids, that social isolation um, is also a lingering problem coming out of COVID. And um, we know that social connectedness 
is so important in preventing um, poor behavioral health outcomes, particularly in school children. Um, finding ways uh, to bring people back together um, is really, really important. And certainly uh, there are strategies that have started to bubble up, um, some led by the U.S. Surgeon General's Office, other um, by great community organizations out there that I think can make a difference. How can individuals become more informed advocates for their own health and engage with organizations like the AMA to hopefully shape the future of healthcare? Well, for, for all your physician listeners out there, we, we welcome those uh, who aren't members to join us. Um, it's a pretty easy, straightforward process uh, to become a member through, through our website. For your uh, patient uh, lay listeners out there, taking charge of your health is so important. Understanding uh, what your numbers are, what your risks are, uh, making sure that you have access and see a primary care doctor um, is really, really important so that you can do the things that we know now uh, can prevent problems from cropping up uh, years to come. Uh, one other question with regards to the to the healthcare team specifically. Uh, there is such a growth in um, uh, nurse practitioners, physician assistants. Um, how does the AMA uh, see um, the physician role in working with these other groups? Well, we strongly support physician-led team-based care. Um, every member of the team has unique knowledge and valuable contributions to enhance patient outcomes. And, and like I said, when I was in the operating room on Friday, you know, I was working with nurse anesthetists. I was working with nurses. Um, everybody has important things that they bring to the table. Um, but a nurse practitioner a physician assistant is simply not a replacement for a physician. And there is clear data that when you remove physicians from the care team, you get higher costs and lower quality of care. Um, and that just doesn't make sense. We're, we're committed to improving the health of the nation. Um, and that means that we've got to put our patients' needs first. We need to lower costs, not raise them. We need to enhance quality, not lower it. Uh, and I will tell you, you know, I, I, I spent 10 years in the military. I served overseas. Uh, in combat, when the president of the United States is injured or ill, the call is for a physician, not for a nurse, and there's a reason for that. Now, in our last few moments, uh, I know this is—I I feel like this is almost an unfair question given the scope of everything we've covered today. But, but of all the things we've talked about, Dr. Ehrenfeld, what issue keeps you up at night most these days? Look, every physician I know has a friend or a colleague affected by burnout or themselves has confronted symptoms of emotional exhaustion. Physicians, in fact, die by suicide at twice the rate of the general population. This includes a dear medical school classmate of mine, an emergency doc who worked tirelessly on the front lines through COVID and he struggled. I knew he struggled. But I didn't know how to help him, and he didn't know how to ask for help. And two years ago, I I lost that friend to suicide. Oh, he was a loving soul, and I I'm haunted by his loss. You know, we need to make sure that we solve the root of physician burnout. Uh, we solve the frustrations that people experience. We deal with these systematic issues in our healthcare system. Uh, that again comes back to our our recovery plan for America's physicians. And I'm so sorry for your loss there, uh, for your uh, colleague and friend. Uh, our, our last question here, Dr. Ehrenfeld, um, to our listeners here in Jacksonville or elsewhere, what key message would you want to deliver to them right now with regards to health, health care, and the AMA? Look, we've got a lot of challenges in healthcare today, but despite our healthcare system being in crisis, despite so many of my colleagues being at their breaking point, I am optimistic about the future. I am optimistic about what lies ahead. And I know uh, that we can help lead America's physicians. We can get this right. We can heal the nation, but it's only gonna happen if we let physicians practice medicine, medicine that's driven by science, by our deep understanding of the body, of health, of disease, if we restore trust in the healthcare system and ultimately let patients decide with their doctor what's in their best interest. I cannot have put it better than what you just stated. Thank you, Dr. Ehrenfeld. 
for just giving us so much of your time and for everything you've done in your career uh, for the benefit of public health and medicine for all. It is just so greatly appreciated. And just thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. We've been talking to Dr. Jesse Ehrenfeld. He is the current president of the American Medical Association. Well, that's our program for today. We hope you've enjoyed our show. If you missed anything, you can listen to the full episode at WJCT.org and on your favorite podcast app. Our executive producer is David Luckin. Stacey Bennett is our producer. Brady Corum is our director. Next week's program is our monthly medical roundtable. And if you have questions about this or any topic, let us know by calling us at 904-358-6362, email us at health at WJCT.org, or tweet me at jcerve. I'm Dr. Joe Servin, and you're listening to What's Health Got to Do With It on WJCT News 89.9 Jackson. Sponsored in part by Eli Lilly and Company. Is migraine impacting your life or daily activities four or more days per month? If so, ask your healthcare professional if you are a candidate for migraine prevention treatments and which ones might be best for you. Learn more at thinkmigraine.com. The American Brain Foundation. For over 30 years, the foundation has worked with researchers to discover better treatment, prevention, and cures for brain diseases and disorders. Imagine life without brain disease. Learn more at AmericanBrainFoundation.org. And Rethreaded restores choice and breaks the cycle of generational trauma for survivors of human trafficking in Jacksonville, Florida, through business. You can help. Learn more about Rethreaded survivor-created goods at the storefront or rethreaded.com shop.